Well, we lost an iconic actor at the beginning of this month. I don't know if you saw the news or not, but for many of us, Carl Weathers, our first experience with him was as Rocky's formidable opponent in that series. And we watched him evolve from that opponent who was larger than life to Rocky's friend and trainer and encourager to that last time he stepped into the ring in an exhibition match against um, Ivan Drago. You remember that Russian who literally beat him to death on the screen. And as I was thinking about that, being a little bit nostalgic, I was thinking through these stories of Rocky and and the great lines that come from that. And one that I especially love is found in the very first film, and that's when Rocky Balboa is talking to his love interest, Adrian, and just his desire to want to go the distance with Apollo Creed. And this is what he said. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings, you know, and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. For Rocky, it wasn't his goal to beat him. He just wanted to survive the fight, to still be standing when that last bell rung. And for him, that would mean the world. It would mean that he would know finally that he's not just another bum from the neighborhood. And I've always found that line fascinating. I wonder how many of us, without using those words in particular, with a South Philadelphian accent, can resonate with what is said there, can admit that that is what drives so much of what's going on in our life, that we want to know that we're special, that we want to prove ourselves to the world. Tim Keller, the pastor and author, said that this is the work beneath the work. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, he writes, all of us are haunted by the work under the work, that need to prove and save ourselves to gain a sense of worth and identity. How much of our lives is spent trying to prove and save ourselves, to get a sense of identity, to feel that worth? And the question I want to ask is, what if, what if our sense of worth and identity is not something that we achieve, but something that we simply receive? I think we're going to see that today as we continue our work through Psalm 23, focusing in particular on verses 2 through 3, but let's just back up to verse 1 that we looked at last week just for the context. David, the author of this psalm, who later became the king of Israel, writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We made the point last week that if we can hang on to this truth, we are getting exactly what David says. Namely, since I have the Lord as my shepherd right now, what more do I need? Psalm 23 is meant to form and to, and to shape our imaginations and our identity and to understand that the Lord draws near to us and he is our great shepherd. And if we could put it like this, we're not called to shepherd ourselves, but to embrace the fact that we're designed to be shepherded by the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not called to shepherd ourselves. We're, we're meant to understand that we need to be shepherded and that there is a shepherd who longs to shepherd us. And of course, we saw last week that Jesus is that good shepherd in the flesh. John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Here Jesus tells us that he is willing to go to the death for the sheep, and that's exactly what happened. Isaiah the prophet, looking into the future and seeing what Jesus would accomplish, noticed what happened on the cross, and he writes, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus, when they nailed and crucified him, bore the sins of his people. But that's not the end of the story. He rose again from the dead, and he told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to him. This is our great shepherd. We could put it like this. It is our shepherd redeemer who was crucified and is alive again, who has all power and authority, who now shepherds us on our journey with him. When we read those words of Psalm 23, verse 1, and we understand them through the lens of Christ, we understand that great shepherd of the sheep to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist continues. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. What an image that is. What comes to your mind when you read those words? He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's something idyllic in that, isn't there? Philip Keller was a man who used to be a shepherd and wrote a commentary, which is very accessible, I'll commend it to you, called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. And it's, it's very interesting to read these words through the shepherd who shepherded sheep, because I don't know about you, but I've never shepherded a sheep in my life. I'm not even sure I've actually seen one in person other than just driving by in fields. So I know nothing about sheep, but he has written a lot, and he tells us that they're the sheep are, are very hard to, to make lie down. They have to be really at peace to do so. And he lists several requirements that sheep have. One of them is that sheep must be well fed. He says there's no way that you can get a sheep to lie down in green fields if they're hungry. Because if they're hungry, they got food on their mind. They want to eat. And likewise, our famished souls must be fed by the person of our good shepherd. He's a shepherd not only who lays down his life for the sheep, but he feeds us at a deep, deep level. There's this place in the Gospel of John where Jesus said these words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. If you've been in the Gospels, you know Jesus says these kind of things all the time. But look at that phrase, I am the bread of life. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? Not simply that I have bread for your life, but I am the bread of life. And Jesus says things like this all the time. And so we, we tend to kind of just take it in stride. But just imagine if, let's say Todd and Brenda walked into church today, and before we got started, they just, went, they just said, hey, everyone, before we get started, I want to let you know that we are the bread of life. If you feed on us, you will live. Again, that's just bizarre, right, for Todd and Brenda or anyone to say this. But Jesus said things like this all the time. I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, shall not hunger, they shall not thirst. And then at the very end of this, he says, whoever feeds on me, he will also live. We're meant to see in Jesus nourishment for our life. 
and nourishment for our souls. Have you ever been around someone that you just came away from that meeting just refreshed? My wife and I have a standing date every Friday for lunch, and I look forward to it because that's a time for us to connect. And I always leave that time refreshed being in the presence of my wife. We nourish each other as we talk and encourage one another. But Jesus is that in spades. In fact, he's in a different category altogether. I am the bread of life. Are you feasting on him? Philip Keller also says that not only must sheep be well fed, but they must feel secure. There's no way they can lie down in green fields if they don't feel secure. Keller goes on and says, It is generally not known that sheep are so timid and easily panicked that even a stray jackrabbit suddenly bounding from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. When one startled sheep runs in fright, a dozen others will bolt with it in blind fear, not waiting to see what frightened them. As long as there is even the slightest suspicion of danger from dogs, coyotes, cougars, bears, or other enemies, the sheep stand ready to flee for their lives. They have little or no means of self-defense. They are helpless, timid, feeble creatures whose only recourse is to run. A sheep will not lie down in safety if it does not feel secure. When I was thinking about this, I thought about our dog, Jeffrey. This was a dog that we adopted right before COVID hit. My daughter and I had been visiting or really volunteering at the Bryan Animal Shelter. And we, about two months earlier, said we're going to do this on the condition that we do not adopt a dog. Well, guess what happened? That dog was there week after week after week, and Miranda has always wanted just this little dog that she can carry with her and snuggle with. But what you need to know about Jeffrey is that he had a rough past. We're not sure exactly what happened. They told us at the, at the animal shelter that he gave them a run for the money when they tried to capture him and bring him in. And nevertheless, even now, was four years later, Jeffrey still just shakes. We walk in the room, he's just shaking, and we're not sure what's wrong, and, and scoop him up and seek to calm him. There's this one time, not too long after we got him, where he just was not at peace with our cat. Our cat, Alyosha, now resting in peace, uh, ruled the house. He let us live in it, and Jeffrey, I think, since that. And he would always do these kind of like slow motion, like, I'm going to bite you actions when Heather had uh, Jeffrey and Alyosha in, his, in her arms. And there's this one time where the cat was walking through and Jeffrey decided he was going to go back just right behind him and just kind of nip at the tail. And that was, <laughs> he realized really fast that was a mistake. The cat turned and chased Jeffrey around the circle of our house three times and he was squealing like a stuck pig. And it was funny because as we just watched this happen, you know, he, he didn't even think to jump up in one of our arms. <laughs> He was just freaking out and scared. And Jeffrey could not rest in a moment like that. Keller says, Nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do. Friends, our, our fearful souls must be focused on the presence of our good shepherd, the one who is with us who protects, who nourishes us, and watches after us. There's this interesting place in the Gospel of Mark in which there, there are these subtle hints of Psalm 23 in the background. The way Mark tells the shore, he speaks to Jesus and says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, 
And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something uh, to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give, them, give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when he had found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now it's easy to miss exactly what Mark is doing in this gospel. If you read the gospel of Mark, you know that it is just like a, a fast-moving show. One of Mark's favorite words is immediately. Immediately Jesus did this, and after that, immediately he did this. And right here he slows down the narrative. And he tells them not simply that Jesus made them sit down. And not simply that he made them sit down on grass. But he made them sit down on green grass. You hear Psalm 23 there? He makes me lie down in green fields. These sheep who are without a shepherd, he now causes them to, to sit in groups. In fact, it, Mark goes on and says, they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Here are these groups of sheep these humans who are sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus puts them in these groups. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked down to, uh, or he, I'm sorry, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. What a beautiful picture of that shepherd of Psalm 23, now in the flesh, taking care of his sheep making sure that they are secure with him, making sure that they are well-fed, and they now are satisfied. You see, my friends, proximity to Jesus is the prerequisite for our souls to feel secure, well-fed, and satisfied. The psalm goes on and says, He leads me beside still waters. That phrase, still waters, can be translated waters of rest. Have you ever seen this painting? It's the Beaches by Asher Brown Duran. It's this idyllic setting of a shepherd with sheep coming behind him as he leads them to still waters, these waters of rest. And what I'm told is that sheep won't relax. They won't even drink from water if it's a moving stream. That's how, how skittish they are. But by still waters, waters that are at rest, they themselves can then drink. Keller once again tells us something very interesting and insightful. He says, When sheep are thirsty, they become restless and set out in search of water to satisfy their thirst. If not led to the good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will drink, I'm sorry, they will often drink up, I'm sorry, they will often end up drinking from the polluted potholes where they pick up intestinal parasites. So this is an image of a shepherd who wants to lead his sheep to still waters, these waters of rest. But if they're not handily available, readily available, they can stray off looking for their own water, and they're likely to, to find whatever sitting water they can to slack their thirst. As I was reflecting on this, it made me think about that place in Jeremiah where God spoke through his prophet and said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewed out for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. 
God portrays himself as these fresh springs of living water. It's available for his people to drink from. And yet, they go and dig cisterns. And these cisterns were just holes in the ground that were plastered over and, and collect rainwater. And you can imagine the dirt and feces or whatever that might accumulate there, and that's what they're drinking from. And God says, this is an evil. They're, they're leaving me, and they're going and drinking from this water that can't really satisfy. I wonder how many of us look to social media, for example, to satisfy our thirst. I remember in our church in Calgary, uh, right after the service, there was a group of our teenage girls who were sitting outside on the couches in the foyer, and I went over and, and chatted with them a little bit, and we got into this discussion about social media. And they're talking about posting on Instagram. And I can't remember the exact time frame, but one of the girls um, candidly admitted that if she posts something on Instagram, and within something like 10 minutes, if she doesn't get like a certain number of likes, she deletes it because there is nothing worse in her mind than to post something and have no one like it. And my heart broke for her and some of the other girls who were, who were talking along these lines. And I thought in my mind, I didn't use these words with them, but they're digging these cisterns, looking to slake their thirst, something that can't ultimately slake it. I was reminded of that movie Chariots of Fire where Harold Abrams, the Olympian, was talking to his friend Aubrey about the race that was about to take place in an hour. And he said, I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Aubrey, old chap, I'm scared. We've labored for this day, day in and day out, and for what? And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? But will I? I'm struck by that phrase. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. My friends, what are you pursuing? With what are you trying to slake your thirst? Do you even know how you're trying to satisfy your soul? It might be through social media. It might be being crowned the champion. It might be any number of things. We are forever in pursuit, and we don't even know what we're chasing. We're thirsty, but nothing satisfies. And that great shepherd of the sheep on one occasion said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is pursuing what you don't even know what brings satisfaction, come to me and drink from me. Again, this is one of those things that Jesus says, and those of us who've read the words of Jesus just kind of take this in stride, because yes, this is exactly the thing Jesus says, but, but again, what if we said that? What if I came here today and said, you know what, if, if you have a deep soul thirst that nothing else can satisfy, I'm your guy. I can take care of that for you. We just People don't talk like that, and yet Jesus does. And he has the boldness, the, the audacity, if you will, to claim to be able to, to quench our thirst at the deepest level. So my friends, Jesus is those waters of rest you've been thirsting for. Come to him and drink deeply and find rest for your souls. I love the way Augustine put it in his Confessions, which was this book-long prayer to God, recounting kind of the story of his life. 
In that opening page, he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We can put it like this. You have made us for yourself and our souls are thirsty until they have their thirst quenched in you. In another psalm, we're told, as the deer pants for the living waters, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. And these psalms, Psalm 42 and Psalm 31, the testimony of Jesus is meant to help us understand that we do thirst, not for water, not for Dr. Pepper, not for a glass of wine, but we thirst deeply for something that can satisfy our souls. And Jesus says he can satisfy it. This is one of the phrases I want us to look at in Psalm 23 today, and it's found in verse 3. It says, he restores my soul. What beautiful words. I don't know if until I spent time preparing for this message that I really thought deeply about that phrase. It's always been one of those good phrases that we like, right? He restores my soul. But what do you think about when you think about your soul needing to be restored? That psalm I just mentioned, Psalm 42, has this line, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He, he sees himself cast down and in need of, of restoration. When you think of being cast down, what comes to your mind? Again, Philip Keller in his book is, is gold for us. He says, only those intimately acquainted with sheep and their habits understand the significance of a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. This is an old English shepherd's term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and cannot get up again. A cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically struggling to stand up without success. If the weather is hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in a few hours. If it is cool and cloudy and rainy, it may survive in this position for several days. And he says, a cast sheep is in ever-present danger. What an image that is. A hired hand may go and help that sheep if he so desires, but a shepherd will rush to set that, right, that sheep right, to restore that sheep to its rightful position. And so can you imagine yourself, perhaps at times, like that sheep? You're just kind of laying there on your back, helpless, with your legs sticking up in the air, and you know you need to be set right. You know you need to be restored to the proper position, but, but you can't get yourself there. You need help. And that's where the good shepherd comes in. I wonder if we can learn to bleat these words. Lord, I am cast down. Restore me, my shepherd. Draw near to me and restore me, and it will be well with my soul. Are you cast down? <laughs> bleat out for that good shepherd who rushes to restore our souls. David Gibson, in his commentary called The Lord of Psalm 23, writes these words. He says, Sheep benefit enormously from regular, daily, weekly reminders that we are sheep and not the shepherd. A renewal of the soul takes place in seeing afresh who I am in the world. Not master and commander, but a frail and prone to wonder sheep with a good shepherd. And that my experience of soul rest will always be dependent on my proximity to him. I love that phrase. 
soul rest will always be dependent on my proximity to him. My friends, how close have you been to the good shepherd recently? Have you been like a sheep that is strayed, off looking for for thirst, something to eat, realizing that your shepherd knows exactly what you need and is ready to provide it? Some of us have strayed this last week, haven't we? Some of us, it's been longer than a week. It's been months or, or maybe years. And we're always searching for what we don't really know. The call of this psalm is to return to the one who can restore your soul. So let me give you this encouragement, my friends. Refuse to believe that this psalm is meant only for super spiritual people. Like David, or like the Apostle Paul, or or anyone else besides you. What if this psalm is written, especially for people like you in mind? People who don't have it all together. People who are way too often like a cast-down sheep. What if this soul is meant to shepherd you to the great shepherd? I think that's why it's there. So while these are beautiful words, don't excuse them by saying this applies to someone else. Let them be very intimate and, and have them apply to you. Learn to say to yourself, I am the object of my shepherd's care. What more do I need? He leads me. Besides still waters, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. I am meant to feed on the person of Jesus, sensing the presence of Jesus that casts out fear. I am meant to quench my soul's thirst with him and to have my soul restored by him whenever I am cast down. My friends, make this psalm your best friend. Live it out day by day. What if, you, what if this week... You just said to yourself, okay, I'm going to start each day by reading this psalm to myself and inviting the Lord to shepherd me this day. And what if in the evening this week we we read that psalm again and just thought about the way the Lord has been shepherding us throughout the day and drawing us to himself and reminding us that nothing will satisfy us besides him. What if we were to do that? My friends, I think that that's, that's part of the benefit of you and I having had been given the grace to hear these beautiful words and to dare to believe them. So Mercy Hill Church, may you experience the Good Shepherd's presence leading you and restoring you throughout your life.